Welcome to the Rim 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 Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Hello again, everyone. It's show nine of the Rim Pro Report. I am glad you're here. On today's show, we're going to chat with Ian Thomas of O'Neill Software. We're going to spend some time learning more about Tom Dumez and the HIPAA program at Kent Records. And then we're going to spend some more time with Steve Richards of Richards and Richards in Nashville. And we're going to ask him to help us understand what to do and be prepared for in the event of a disaster in our RIM company. And so I'm excited. Today's going to be a great show. I am really um, amazed right now at uh, how much positive response I'm getting to the show. I, I, I guess I'm I'm amazed because I just believe that this show had something valuable to offer and thanks for so many people confirming that with me. Uh, thanks for the emails and the feedback. I'm grateful that so many of you are liking what we're offering here on the Rim Pro Report. You know, I just got back from vacation uh, to Canada where I was visiting my relatives and was amazed when I looked at the statistics because I do some fairly heavy uh, analytics on what we're doing here and really amazed at the amount of people downloading and listening to the show. I'm excited to say lots of people are using the automated subscription service through uh, Apple, through iTunes, and people are listening on iPads. Man, I'm seeing uh, shows being listened to on iPads, uh, iPods, iPhones, you name it, and the automated subscription process through uh, Apple is a great way to do that. But if, if you're not on one of those devices and by no means are you required to be to listen to the show, you can listen to it right on the rimproreport.com website or uh, you can just come to the website and download it and put it on an MP3 player and play it wherever you're, you want to listen to it. We show up every week. The goal is to have a new show out every Thursday, so we record all week and show goes live Thursday. So I am, uh, again, glad you're here. Hey, you know, August, man, is it ever flying by? I can't believe how fast it's going. And I think the older I get, the more I become aware of how fast time flies. This summer has gone faster than any summer I can ever remember. And it blows my mind um, that that part of this aging process means everything speeds up. So I, I guess what I'm learning is even this summer is to slow down and enjoy these moments because, man, they only come once and they go by very fast. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what cool things you're doing in your business. Uh, if you're a vendor in this industry, then please let me know. I am not uh, not aiming to have you on just to get any type of sponsorship support. I, I want to talk about what's going on in the industry, so I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what your products and services are doing, uh, what you're offering, and how they can help the industry, because I, I believe the more we know, the more prepared we are to support each other with this. Uh, if you've got cool stories of what you're doing as a, a RIM practitioner in your shred, your destruction, your record center, your scanning and imaging business, your media vault, I'd love to hear more from you. 
uh, I am sort of always on the lookout for stuff, and I've I've even enlisted a couple of of good friends to make sure that uh, I'm aware of what's going on out there. And uh, Andy and Barney, yeah, they're they're out there helping me out. We'll put out an all points bulletin. We'll set up roadblocks everywhere. I'll track him down if it takes forever, and then I'm going to bring him in alive, Andy, because this boy's mine. Yeah, well, Andy seems to have focused just on finding one person, but uh, I am looking for everyone. So let me know again if there's anything cool going on in this industry. Hey, speaking of great sources, I think one of the best uh, in this industry, in the entire rim industry, is a guy named Ian Thomas. He's uh, with O'Neill Software, and I think barring any large uh, and detailed explanation of who Ian is, probably most of you know him, but... To me, Ian is one of the brightest guys in this industry. I love chatting with Ian because of what he sees, his viewpoint on things. And I think because O'Neill's got such a significant uh, footprint in record centers across the world, not just in North America, but across the world. And Ian has the opportunity to both see and observe and hear based on what his clients are requesting in terms of the direction they take. And I think it's just worth talking to Ian on a regular basis. So let me get Ian on the line here and uh, we'll give him a chat. Ian, are you there? Hi, Tom. Yes, I'm here. Hey, great talking to you. I, I have to explain uh, for those who might not know this that you and I have a, a sort of an inside track relationship uh, only because you and I drove thousands of miles together on that last Prism Gives uh, ride, and you were very much a product or a part of making my ride a success, so thank you. Well, we try to make sure you didn't get lost. That was the most important thing. Yeah, well, I, I was complete rookie and newbie on that ride, and uh, thanks for holding back while the other riders zoomed ahead. You uh, stuck with me and, and kind of kept me sane, so thank you. Uh, it's just I'm a slow rider, that's all. <laughs> well, the advantage now is uh, I now officially have my motorcycle license, and uh, for anyone planning on coming to PRISM next year in Orlando, uh, Ian and I and uh Dennis Barnett and a number of others are going to be doing another ride uh, through Florida. So we're still in the planning stages of that. Are, are you uh, any further ahead on, on ideas on that one? Yeah, at the moment, it'll just be um, a few days. The plan is to try to make it so that some people can ride for a single day so they don't have to rent a motorcycle for a week. And also, we want to try to head down to Key West and spend at least one day there. So uh, arriving early in the morning, maybe spending the whole day, enjoy the uh, the benefits of Key West. Not sure I know what those are, but I'm sure they're very exciting. And then uh, carry on on the route the next day. So trying to make it so that we can add more people. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm excited about that one again. And um, I, I, I think, bar none, that was the, the coolest thing I've done in the entire, you know, my entire history in the industry. I know you've been at it a lot longer, but, um, man, that was so much fun to do that. Well, it was great to, um, especially mixed with all the different people, you get uh, create a bond and uh, a relationship that you don't just always get. So, yeah, I enjoy it a, a great deal. Looking forward to next year's ride. Yes, and officially no talking about Tonopah. <laughs> or singing. Uh, I, I <laughs> but did, that's a long story. I did not sing in Tonopah. <laughs> 
Yes. So uh, let, let's actually talk about something else, because uh, one of the things I know about you and one of the things I've always appreciated about you is kind of the perspective you have, the the sort of futuristic um, way you plan things and the, the vision you have. But what are you seeing out there in the industry? You you guys are, you know, you guys are strategically positioned with clients all over the world, not just in in North America. What are you what are you seeing out there? What's sort of the trend? Well, it's too Two things. I mean, uh, from a trend, if you're talking um, the technology or whether you're just talking the industry in general. So if I kind of look at the industry at the moment, I think uh, the big one for me is acquisitions are back. Um, I always find that this goes around in a little bit of a cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll. I think you get the startup operations come in for a little while and then the acquisitions kind of roll in. But um, I think we're definitely seeing the acquisition train starting to roll again at the moment. Um, definitely the biggest trend, and um, on the um, my Twitter feed, I try to send up the news whenever I see that somebody's made an acquisition, and it's almost weekly now. Yeah. So that's clearly the the big one, and of course the interesting part of it for um, anybody watching the industry is it's not the usual suspects. So it's um, you know new groups that are getting involved and and uh, interesting, and these guys come with new ideas sometimes. So it makes for quite an exciting. Uh, future for the industry well it really is i i, I am I, you know and i think that's why i started this show because I, I just think it's such a there's such cool things going on and you know i think for so long we were kind of the sleeper industry uh nobody knew about us nobody was aware of what we did and now all of a sudden we're there we're gaining a, a sort of a preeminence because we touch so many uh parts of different businesses in the world and you know when when we get more uh, when we see people or people see us more, the business world sees us and we, we get on the radar screen, lots of interesting stuff starts happening, and acquisitions are a part of that. Oh, absolutely. And and even for you know the companies, they make, the companies making the acquisitions, but for uh, clients of the record centers, I mean, what they're seeing is smaller companies sometimes rolling up into larger groups, and from that becomes a... a, a and this may come out the wrong way, I certainly don't mean this way, but a professionalizing of the services, yeah. just simply because they can bring uh, bigger things to bear for them. And uh, you know that all of these new tools that are out there, um, you know, they, as the bigger companies start to offer them, they, they become standard. Yeah. And that standardization is, is raising the bar year after year after year as to what people's expectations are now from commercial record centers. Yeah, yeah. So that that was one trend. This whole uh, acquisition market. You said you had another one. Well, the the other trend that I'm seeing is uh, more on the technology side. Um, I often refer to uh, what our customers tell me, which is, Ian, you know, make me money or save me money. They're really not that interested in technology uh, that doesn't meet one of those two aims. Right. And uh, one of the things that their clients are asking for, and what I see more and more, is that they don't want to do things twice. And so we're seeing a, um, a continuing push for um, tools that allow cooperation or the integration of systems so that when somebody does something, they only need to do it once. Give me an example of that. Um, well, I'll, I'll use an example in the record center first. Um, so that would be, you know, in a typical scenario, if I went to pick a file out of a box and um, I'm looking for the Tom Adams file and there were more than one file in there. Well, there and likely it, would be. And like, especially your medical record, but that's another story. <laughs> so they some through, you know, um, they might write it down on a picking sheet and take it back to the office. And customer service now has to remember to charge for the second pi uh, file pick. Um, 
what we do is we want to automate that. So we want the scanner to be able to handle that all automatically. So as they scan the file to say that they validated the, the pick, that they can add a second or third or fourth file, and that automatically flows through, updates the work order, and flows right the way through to billing. Right. So, so that integration is from a, um, a field operation actually happening in the warehouse on a mobile device all the way through, through the billing cycle. Right. Then an external example would be a client who's using um, a product for their own internal file tracking system, and what they, when they're doing work, um, I want the Tom Adams records. I don't care whether they're uh, paper records, whether they're emails, uh, Photoshop files, whatever. Um, I, I want them all. And then when I order it, I see that some of those records are off-site. So currently we make them then log on to a web portal or uh, fax or email or call to get those off-site records. And what we're seeing from the clients is they don't want to do that. Oh, okay. I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a computer system. Why can't it talk to another computer system and tell them what they want? Right. And so we're, we're working behind the scenes on some um, fairly big R&D projects to, to try to um, tackle that kind of problem. So that, that, would, that would mean then si someone in a corporate office somewhere is basically, you know, sitting on whatever their integrated system be, whether it be, you know, they the latest offering from Microsoft um, with SharePoint or, you know, any one of the many um, management systems that companies use. And they just, you know, when they make the request, it should show up in the record center if it's a hard copy or if it's a scan file or whatever. That's the goal, is okay. to see how we can make it so that somebody does work once. And, of course, it's a pretty lofty goal because there are so many um, applications out there that are being used around the world oh, yeah. uh, inside. So it's a lofty goal. But you know what? Um, you, you, if, if you just see the mountain and give up, then you don't get anywhere. So you see it, you say, okay, let's see if we can climb that mountain. And uh, we've been kind of working on some different projects, just seeing different ways that we may be able to solve that problem. Uh, what's what's the you know and and the, those two are to me pretty pretty cool ones but there there continues to be this thing around RFID and what's your take on that? Okay, uh, RFID. I, I did, actually did the very first talk to um, Prism. It was in two thousand in Acapulco. Yeah, um, it was quite interesting. I always remember because I had seven people in the room. So. <laughs> You know, I wasn't sure whether it was the topic wasn't very popular yet, or I'm just a terrible speaker, so I still haven't answered that one yet. <laughs> well, just just keep speaking. Yeah, but um, I think RFID has a place, but it's again, it's a very difficult place of where it fits. Yeah. So for tracking um, somebody walking around a warehouse, somebody with a badge with an RFID tag on, I can tell when they went through a door. I can't necessarily say which way they went through the door, but but I can say they went through the door. Um, Tracking files on uh, boxes or files in boxes coming inside the record center starts to become very much more problematic. Right. If you have 48 boxes on a pallet and you have, I don't know, 35 to 50 files per box, and you're trying to read all of those files without touching them, um, you know, I, I have not seen a system that successfully does that. I've seen you know high success rates, but not 100%. Right. And I think a big part about this industry is that you have to guarantee 100%. You can't say, I think I got that uh, file in. And, and that, going back to uh, your earlier point, which is do things only once, um, eliminate sometimes that ease of using RFID as, as the, you know, the device to make it all happen. 
exactly. Now, it's got places. I mean, I've seen some very successful projects, but they tend to be in a specific part of the operation. So they're, they're very focused. They're designed to do one thing and do one thing well. And it's really a question of uh, the amount of money that's being cost or uh, being charged, sorry, by um, you know, RFID vendors, uh, not just for the uh, RFID tag, but the readers and so forth. If, is the benefit of that one specific thing worth doing? Right. Um, yeah, you know, we use, as you know, uh, Motorola for with our equipment. We're a, um, a very big vendor with Motorola, and they have all of the RFID capabilities. And we've looked at it closely, and we could read RFID tags. Um, we just haven't seen the, the the demand coming to us from the record centers yet. Okay. And I've spoken to you know some of the other vendors in the, in the space, and they they tell me the same. They don't see the demand there. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a technology problem. It's back to the very beginning uh, where I mentioned you know the, um, our clients say Ian you know save me money or make me money. Right. So it has to be a solution to a problem that that meets one of those two goals. And if it doesn't, then it it really is still too far away to make a good call on it. Exactly. And something that I often say to people is, um, who's controlling the tags? Hmm. So we're all very familiar with the problem with barcodes, that yeah. um, you know, anybody can put any barcode on any file, and yet once it hits a record center, you do want uniqueness. Right. Yeah, so it can be uh, um, a problem if you don't uh, or are not absolutely sure that that item is unique. So take that, that argument through further. Who's ensuring the uniqueness of an RFID tag? Because you can buy some from from 3M, I can buy some from Texas Instruments, somebody else can buy them from somewhere else. And um, how do we not know that um, you're not putting tags that are readable by my system into um, uh, on file folders in a box? Somebody else is putting the same tags on boxes, and now I'm getting confused. Hmm. So I think there has to be a control. There has to be some sort of checksum into the RFID read uh, that makes sure that I know that that's my tag and that there's not going to cause a problem reading um, somebody else's tag later on. Right, right, and that's a big thing. So uh, clients are saying, uh, make me money, uh, save me money, uh, and obviously someone like you has to figure out with your team at O'Neill how to, how to make that happen. But, uh, and so the industry is in some ways driving what you guys are doing, but based on your unique knowledge and perspective, is there areas that maybe uh, record center owners, uh, RIM service providers aren't aware that they should be asking a question in? Oh, that's the um, the classic I don't know what I don't know question, <laughs> which gets very tricky. Well, um, I, you know, I don't want to put you on the, the spot, but I always do, so why not? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think, um, you know, most people understand... Um, you know that, that the rim industry is changing, yeah. and especially the role of the commercial record center within the industry. That's no secrets. We've been watching it um, kind of drift off in different directions over over um, many years. And I think the the real part that's changing is that this business was box led. And what I mean by that is people would go out, they'd sell boxes and put them on their shelves. Um, and then they might go back and say to a customer, hey, I got your boxes, anything else I can do for you? And I, I think, again, you know, I don't think anything earth-shattering about this news, but more and more it's becoming another way around now where you offer other services to clients and then 
whilst you're offering those other services, you try to pick up the box business that comes with it. Right. Um, now, that, that transition hasn't happened fully by any stretch of the imagination, but, but it is going along that kind of trend. Um, I think uh, Carrie McGovern, um, who, who I, I work with closely on a lot of different projects, you know, Carrie always says, you know, you have to um, sell a solution to a problem. So first of all, you go in and you find out what their problem is. Um, so you sell the solution to the problem, and then if box storage is part of that solution, then you offer box storage. But right. if it's something else, you offer another service. Right. Um, so Carrie's kind of mindset is, I think, uh, that is happening more and more in this industry. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that, lots to uh, lots to think about and lots to consider. Hey, uh, every so often, you mind if we check in? Oh, no, not at all. No, no? Um, I, I look forward to, as we work on different projects, uh, hopefully sharing them with you. Yeah, well, because uh, I, I know everybody who is a part of listening to this show um, you know, is always interested in, I think, why they listen to it. Are they interested in what are some new perspectives? And I always appreciate yours. So, hey, Ian, thanks again for... Uh, dropping in and uh, filling us in on some of your uh, perspective. I will, on the rimproreport.com website, make sure to link back to your your blog uh, as well as the site to, uh, to see what you're up to. So thanks again. Really appreciate it, and we'll catch up soon. Uh, thanks, Tom, and um, I'll remind everybody else to do what I do, which is subscribe on iTunes so they make sure they get the, uh, the podcast every month for this. Oh, sorry, sorry every, every week. week, isn't it? Every week, man. There we go. Thanks All a right. lot. Cheers. I am looking forward today to be talking to Tom Dumez, who is the director of HR at Kent Records Management in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Tommy there. I am here, Tom. Hey, Pleasure to talk to you. Welcome to the Rim Pro Report. Uh, at Prism uh, last May, rumor has it that there's this guy wandering around that can really help out uh, record centers and other Rim service providers with HIPAA-related stuff. And so that intrigued me, and uh, I've gone to call you. I've called you a couple of times and tried to figure out what that is, but I think it'd be really important for uh, people listening to to know a little bit more about what's what's going on in your world and what's the HIPAA thing all about, and give give me a little bit of a backstory. Where does this all come from? How did how did this all sort of transpire? And then we'll talk a little bit more about what you're doing. Well, certainly I'll be happy to, Tom. Back in 2009, when the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act (ARRA) was signed into law, we decided as a company to take a proactive approach to finding out these changes involving HIPAA and high-tech right. that were going to be coming in uh, 2010. Yeah. And it was decided that I go get educated uh, about HIPAA. So I was sent to a really intense class and, and as a result became a certified HIPAA professional and then spent about three or four months somewhere in that range drilling HIPAA down to a level that just applied to business associates of covered entities. A bunch of HIPAA laws and regulations do not apply to record storage industry type companies. So we thought it would be a good idea to drill it down again to a level that our people would uh, understand. And so I was given the freedoms to do that. Uh, as a result, I created a program to train our, our 36 employees and uh, did nine sessions, uh, separate sessions to train them all. And 
as I got closer to PRISM, I was encouraged by Jim Booth and, and others to consider getting an exhibitor's booth and market this to record centers across the country. So after uh, much thought and much discussion, we decided to do that. And as a result, I've been able to go into six or eight record centers of all kinds of various sizes. Um, and by that, I mean box quantity, tape quantity, and employee numbers. Yeah. yeah. And to go in and to uh, train their employees as as far as uh, what we think they need to know about HIPAA. Hmm. Well, let, let's let's go back and dig into sort of what you learned along the way, or, or some basics. I, I realize that you know you're you're obviously uh, um, you know helping other other record centers and other rim service vendors with some of this stuff. But the, from a high level perspective, when you first started digging into this. Uh, back in 2009, what were some of the what were some of the things that that became fairly immediately apparent as it related to HIPAA, the whole business associate, the business associate structure, and how it affected what you guys were doing, and and what were some of the things that started becoming evident to you along the way? Some of the requirements of of HIPAA, it just makes good business sense to uh, to do risk analysis. Uh, business impact analysis, those types of self-analysis tools that are out there. And we, uh, we discovered that uh, largely we were HIPAA compliant, if I could use that term, yeah. uh, although there's no definition as to what HIPAA compliant is. Right. Um, but it caused us to take a real in-depth look at, at our policies and our procedures our practices, and then we realized that in order for us to be more on the end of the spectrum of protecting the protected health information we've been entrusted with, that mm -hmm. it was apparent to us we had to change some of the things that we did, uh, or change how we did some of the things we did in order to uh, greater ensure uh, the security of that information. Uh, the, the, the term business associate and it's debatable amongst the record management industry as to whether or not we are a business associate or not. Uh, but we chose to believe that we are. Okay. And therefore, there are certain obligations we have to uh, uphold, if you will. And yeah. so we just made the effort to really dig into that and find out what those were and, uh, and then implement them as, a, as everyday practices. So uh, um, jump back in, ter in terms of some of the risk analysis and maybe, you know, uh, in, in one respect, one of the big risks is the cost associated with doing it wrong. What were some of the things you discovered in that whole, you know, that discovery process of if we do this wrong, what could happen? Well, at that time, Tom, there, there really weren't any fines that were out there that directly involved a business associate. Okay. So we really didn't have any idea other than the scale of punishments and fines and, and potential prison terms that these violations could bring. And now as, as it's progressed, uh, we are more and more, there are business associates that are being held as liable as the covered entities, which by definition uh, are those entities which create, store, or maintain, or transmit protective health information, largely encompassing the medical community. With hmm. that liability, 
there's an increased responsibility as well, uh, but that liability greatly increased due to the requirements placed on the covered entities by the new laws that right. now require the covered entities to perform audits of their their third-party service providers, examine their policies and procedures, and get reasonable assurances that the information they entrust to us is yeah. protected. But but I, I I have heard, and this might just be hearsay, but I, I've heard that, that there's now starting to be, you know, there's actually starting to be big numbers associated with not doing this right. Are, are you seeing that as well? Oh, that's absolutely correct. I, I know of one individual of a record center here in the United States that uh, was honest enough with me to tell me he couldn't afford my training because his, his business that he works for were, were trying to figure out how to pay a, a fine as a result of a breach uh, well in excess of $2 million. Ouch. Yeah, that'll hurt. So the numbers are starting to come back to, to show that there there's significant reason to make sure we're doing it right. Oh, w- without a doubt. Uh, a recent breach in the Boston area, and I know Jim Booth referred to it in, in your interview with him, they're saying anywhere from or up to $80 million that could run for 800,000 individuals, and uh, that includes the cost of notification, the credit monitoring services that have to be in place, and it's just an astronomical amount of money. $80 million for how many records? 800,000 individuals. Yeah, I remember Jim talking about that a number of weeks ago, but I, I'm, wow, that, that's, you know, that, that's serious. That's serious coin. Oh, yeah, it, it is, and none of us can afford that. And there is no rhyme, nor reason, or standard, or scale that these fines are being uh, levied that will set a standard. Huh. So it's it's pretty much up to interpretation by by those bodies in charge of that. So it sounds to me like you you figured a lot of this stuff out in terms of the training you did and you dug dug down and said if we're a covered entity we've got a or a business associate of a covered entity we have to figure out what that means to us and um in figuring that all out it didn't seem to remain a management issue it became an employee a frontline employee issue tell me a little bit about the process of of taking this new knowledge and translating into employees, what what's that what's that mean in sort of small or a couple of key ways that you're seeing? Uh, how does that affect frontline employees? Well, first of all, the results of the risk analysis that, that we did told us that our biggest risk for any kind of a HIPAA violation or HIPAA breach of of information was, in fact, our employees and most likely our couriers. Really. The, the covered entities, the doctor's offices, labs, hospitals, if you will, their greatest risk is inside their facility, whereas with record centers, our greatest risk is outside our facility. When we're transporting that information to a client, whether it be an accident with one of the vehicles or the delivery of information to the wrong client, right. those types of errors. So it really involved our employees right from the get-go, and what we did is we put out a survey, just a half a dozen question survey, asking them what they thought the risks were. And so we involved them in the creation of the training Hmm. to actually pinpoint those things that we may have to examine closer and and change if necessary. 
And so did, did you discover it was systemic in terms of the way you did work order, workflow? Did it, it, what, was there any sort of significant learning that came from that? I, I realize there's probably a ton of things, but was there any big, big monster ones that jumped out to you? Well, there was. Uh, some of those are, are the, the spoken word within your office area. If there are other people in your facility, if, if you afford your clients the opportunity to come and pick up their stuff versus uh, the delivery, yeah. there's the spoken word is a violation or can be a violation if it's overheard by someone not authorized to hear it. Wow. Fax machines, uh, if someone can view that information, that is a potential violation. When you give tours of your facility yeah. with the refile system the way it is uh, throughout the record centers I've had the opportunity to go into, it's pretty visible stuff. So with those record centers I've been to, as well as our own, uh, we've been able to try to mitigate that as much as possible and just to try to lower that risk. Yeah. Hmm. And and having implemented this, now it seems like for, you've been at this probably around a year now, right? What how have you seen changes in terms of the way things operate at Kent? Most obviously, our employees' attitudes towards protecting that information that they handle every day. Okay. And the danger is with any job or any profession that it just becomes mundane after after a certain time or a certain point. Yeah. And our, our, our folks here have, have really embraced uh, protecting that information. Um, they've made... Uh, a number of great suggestions that, that we've implemented. Uh, of course, up here it gets snowy in the winter and the wind blows a lot and uh, simple things to to keep a lid on a box at all times hmm. is, again, it's huge because it keeps stuff from getting wet. It keeps things from blowing around, uh, thus preventing a potential breach. Yeah. So lots in, in lots of little ways, the, the, the employees uh, of your company have actually become... Um, a catalyst in improving the whole thing. No question. Yeah. No question about it. Wow, that's really cool. So, uh, in terms of how how has this been received, or the the actual your client base, how are they receiving this? Are they looking at you in a different light as a result of the the significant transition you've done in terms of becoming HIPAA? Uh, certified as you are, and then really doing a lot of work with with your employees. How has that changed the relationship you have with the covered entities? Initially, I think it was received a little negatively. Uh, number one, because there was some change involved. Number two, it the people that we deliver to on an on an everyday basis, uh, those people change. The the right. the receptionist at the doctor's office isn't always the same individual. Right. Um, so we, we made a really concerted effort to try to get the consistency there. And at first it, it wasn't well received, but with a proper explanation of protecting these folks information that they entrust to us, they were more than welcome to, to, uh, accept those little changes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. So, Obviously, you have now taken this this whole thing that you created and worked with your employees and implemented at Kent and are now starting to share it with other record centers. Uh, what are you discovering uh, are the, the, the big weakness areas that 
many record centers might be missing. And I, re- I realize you're just sort of getting going with this, but you know, ha- having now watched what you did at Kent and now walking into other situations, where are some of the real uh, obvious flaws in the way we're doing things? The biggest flaws I've seen, Tom, are the exact same ones that we found here. Okay. Again, regardless of the number of employees, regardless of the number of boxes, regardless of the sheer volume every day, uh, what I found out in the six or eight record centers I've had the opportunity to go to is that we're doing everything exactly the same except for a couple of things. And it's just a process thing. And, And again, my goal when this first started was was to make the training affordable for smaller operations. That was our target group. Uh, we didn't have the resources necessarily to uh, devote to pay for my training and the exam and the certification. And then the the tearing apart of the HIPAA uh, regulations to make them apply to what we do. Right, right. So I didn't figure that smaller operations would either. Yeah. And the trainings I've done have been anywhere from four employees. Um, I have one scheduled next month for uh, in excess of 100. Hmm. And it's just amazing to me to go into these facilities and spend time with owners and, and, and managers and operations people just to talk about how they do what they do and then how we do what we do and how very little difference there is. Yeah. Wow. So what's what's the process that you engage when you go and work with a uh, another company when you go and help them out what what do you what's it look like just in a nutshell Well here's my day for tomorrow I've got to fly out of town tomorrow to go do a training um the following day and once I get to that facility I have the opportunity to spend some time with an owner or or a a significant person in the operation and just to talk about how they do what they do and how we do what we do. I send them a questionnaire prior to my arrival. Uh, It's for their internal use, but I've always got an opinion to share and I'm happy to do so if they, if they choose to do that, just to get to little, uh, know a little bit about them and their operation, their employees and then we go into the training, and typically I can spend some time after the training, uh, again, with the, the, the owner, the manager, the significant people, just to kind of go over, get some feedback, um, which I've been able to use to improve the training. Right. Oh, so it's kind of great. a win-win-win. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's very cool. Uh, I, um, I, I realize and know that we're in transition again on this. I, I know when I had... Jim Booth a while back, and I know Nate is actively involved in responding to uh, the new the new stuff that's coming out of HIPAA and high tech. And uh, I, I'm always interested because I watch you on different uh, different forums and and boards, and you seem to be the guy in the know on all this stuff. So, um, uh, oh, I'm trying. <laughs> Well, I keep on top of it. Yeah, well, it's it's helpful because what what I see is you you come back with very clear and precise, uh, you know, responses to queries that seem to be fuzzy uh, or uncertainty, and you you have clearly you know obviously spent a lot of time and effort and energy figuring this stuff out. So I, I think you know, and that's why I wanted to have you on the Rim Pro Report because I, I think you have something so valuable to say to people and. 
Uh, if people do want to get a hold of you, what's what's the best uh, approach to do that? Either email or phone. Okay. The email to reach me is trainings at tentrecordswithans.com or our toll-free number is 1-800-536-6681. And I'll, I'll make sure. So it's trainings at kentrecords.com and at the 800 number. I'll make sure we put those on the, uh, the Room Pro Report website if people do want to or need to get a hold of you uh, and, and, and to talk further about this. But, Tom, I, I really appreciate the, um, the information you've shared. Uh, what you're doing is incredibly important in our industry and in our community, and so I'm I'm very grateful and continued success. I hope your your uh, your ongoing trainings work well and that you help a lot of people through this process. Well, thank you, Tom. As uh, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you. Well, we're back with this week's uh, news in the rim industry. Looks like Iron Mountain has now established a new consulting division. They are talking about providing records management, information management, and e-discovery management consulting. Seems like the consulting division, at least I remember it being a uh, an important uh, focus that Iron Mountain had, and it seemed to have sort of dipped for a while, but it looks like it's coming back with a, a much more focused approach. Uh, Litigation-related support seems to be a significant portion of the focus, at least that's how they're presenting it in their news releases and online uh, properties. Media Services in Kansas City is also adding a consulting focus. Uh, Rob Rippentrop has announced that Bill Milliken, who's formerly of Army International, will be joining the team at Media Services. So uh, congratulations uh, there. Speaking of new team members, Iron Mountain just added a couple of new senior executives to the team, Jerry Ruley, uh and uh, Annie Drapeau. Uh, Jerry is going to be Executive Vice President of Worldwide Sales, and Annie is coming in as Executive Vice President of HR. Uh, Jerry Ruley comes from Infor Global Solutions and uh, was uh, significantly a part of uh, major growth there. Drapo has an interesting uh, background. She's a former consultant, built her own consulting uh, business around human resources, but also a author in that space and uh, was formerly a leader in HR at Vistaprint and Digitas. So um, some cool new additions there at Iron Mountain. Uh, I've also been watching what what happened at Iron, and I don't want to spend the whole day talking about Iron, but it's always interesting to watch what they're doing. And they're very involved in the whole uh, domain registry space. They have a significant agreement with ICANN, which is the uh, Internet uh, organization that manages and um, gives away domains through third-party registrars. But now um, Iron is involved in a new relationship with Urban Brain, who is a registry consultant consultancy and they are working with them in the whole new evolution of domain name extensions especially in irons case as it relates to the escrow services hey confidential security corp of peoria illinois just received its 10th year nade certification isn't that cool uh incidentally they were the actual first nade certified company Tom Simpson, the president there, actually volunteered his company 10 years ago to go through the the first certification process for NAID. 
And uh, this year, again, Tom and the team at um, CSC uh, achieved their 10th year in seeing that happen. So congratulations to Tom and Heather Fitzenko and the team at CSC. Archive Systems in uh, their facility in Franklin, New Jersey, just sort of moved to solar energy. Estimates from the company say that the new solar-powered system that runs their new or their plant in Franklin will generate approximately 300,000 kilowatts per year, which will effectively allow the center to be free of relying on the current power grid to support its electricity need. Well, that that's... Uh, that's a cool thing going on there. Shredtech, the uh, the manu- Shredtech, the um, shredding manufacturer from Cambridge, Ontario, just announced a new shred truck into the lineup. The MDS 30 GT truck offers 6,500 pounds per hour throughput and a payload of up to 14,000 pounds. Uh, it employs the plus one microcontrol, the gripper tipper, and the moving floor unloading system. I, I love those moving floors. I don't know why, but... Uh, the the technology in this industry continues to astound me, and every time I look at those moving floors, the way they unload those trucks in you know four or five minutes amazes me. Uh, one other thing I just uh, found out this week looks like there'll be some more new shred trucks in my hometown here in San Diego. Pro Shred, which is a subsidiary of Ready Shred Capital Corp in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, signed a new franchisee here in San Diego. The new owners of the franchise are Todd Hoover and Desiree Chillas, and I hope I said her name right, and they'll likely be fully operational this fall. So it looks like uh, ProShred continues to expand their U.S. footprint. Well, that's all for now. Uh, let me know your news. Send it to me via email or, heck, I'll keep after you till you do. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Well, today is a matrix moment. And uh, I think that occasionally we have to have red pill moments where uh, from the Morpheus of our industry, we need to figure out what we're missing and jump in a little deeper than what we might want to. And so today I want to talk with Steve Richards uh, about some of those issues. Steve, are you on the line? I'm here. Steve, thanks for being on the RimPro Report. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, approximately a month ago, late June, uh, I'm sure that you got a message either via email or some methodology that said in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, TMM Business Records is having a fire. What were you feeling the moment you got that news? Um, complete empathy, complete sympathy. Um, and realizing that um, that there were a lot of things that he needed to know real quick that he didn't know at that moment. Um, just so you'll know, um, I'm not sure you're aware of this, there is a, a PRISM task group that is made up specifically of those who have had a disaster. Hmm. You, you can't be a member of this task group unless you've had a disaster in your record center and you've been the one that dealt with it. In other words, um, I, Bowman was not, he was only eight years old, so he could not be a member of this task group, even though our company had it. He was not there. He did not live it. Right. So he could not be in it. Um, this task group uh, deals with shelving issues, uh, the collapses, uh, fires, sprinkler, tornadoes. Uh, and when I mention those, 
immediately those disasters that you know of come to your head, and you know who the people are that are in this group. Right. Uh, um, I was called uh, very early on in the process of the fire. In fact, the day, the fire, in fact, while it was still burning, I was contacted, and um, Jim Booth let me know what was going on, and I, I reached out to him that time and called um, to let him know, look, when you get a moment, call me. Yeah. And here's my number, and uh, there are several things I need to tell you that you need to know right now. Uh, so please call me as soon as you can. And uh, that, that's that's what we did. Now, I, I will tell you, he called, and uh, we probably talked for an hour to hour and a half, and I was, I was actually at a wedding reception. Oh, my gosh. And, and I walked out of the wedding. It was on a Friday or Saturday night. I walked out of it. Uh, the wedding's over. I walked out of the wedding reception. I was walking around for that hour uh, out of the field <laughs> out of the country. And uh, a lot of people came by and said, what are you doing? And I was uh, just saying, waving them off. I'm talking. And it, because it's very, it's, Tom, it is still emotional for me to relate that. Oh, yeah. It's still emotional. I get a lump in my throat when I have to tell somebody what I'm going to be telling them. And I hate that, but they've got to hear some of these things. Yeah. And um, you, know, you live through it, and it's it's just something that, that doesn't leave you. Well, anyway, um I, I think we helped him. I think we gave him some good advice and uh, told him some things he should expect. And uh, anyway, that's that, that. So I did get that phone call. Well, and and I guess I wanted to to bring you on and talk about this because. Uh, Obviously, you you were you were through this whole process, but I, I think the question that comes when we're aware of something like what happened at TMM, uh, that the the question becomes: Are most record centers, uh, most companies storing the records of other you know of their their clients in their buildings? Are they ready, prepared for, and uh, willing to understand the implications of what happens when a fire uh, breaks out? And my sense is they're not, and so I. I that's why I asked you to be the Morpheus today and give us the red pill on this. What what are we not still getting? You've been talking about this in the industry for a long time, and I think you know it's easy for the story to kind of get old, but in a way we hear another one, and the story is not old because there's there's significant issues that are at stake when this happens. Give give us a little bit more of what that is. What what are the things we have to be aware of, and you know. Boot us to the side of the head if you need to. Okay. Um, one of the things is that you need to begin today, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever, whatever stage of your record center growth you're in, um, you need to have a conversation with every client and let them know four things or talk to them about four things. The first thing is... Um, with that client, you need to have the discussion, do you have valuable papers protection? And you'll probably find that like 85 to maybe 90% of them have it. Mm -hmm. um, so valuable papers protection, you must have it. If you don't have it, you need to call your office insurance organization and tell them you want it. Um, again, I, I think now, today, most have it. It's just an automatic thing that shows up. In a policy, in a and most, most general policy. liability policies have it, right? Um, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, second thing I tell them is if you, if you don't have it, number one, you need to get it. Uh, you need to get it and tell them you want it. Okay, number two uh, would be now that you have it, tell them that your records 
are in my record center. That gives them the option to say, well, wait a minute, I, I don't know that I'm comfortable with that. Um, I want to go see that record center. I want to make sure that record center is is following the NFTA rules regarding uh, regarding a, a fire, fire prevention. Right. I want to make sure that they have a good facility. Uh, if it's a if it's a wooden building with an old 1880s wooden floor and, and you're using wooden shelving, I'm not sure I'm going to insure your records at that facility. Right. Well, see, this gives that insurance company the option to say, yes, we're going to cover you. So you need this. So number two, again, was make sure that you have them to name your record center as the location where the records are stored. Okay. Number, number three, they must know the deductible amount on that policy. Is it? And typically, it's a five thousand deductible. You might, I might suggest you taking it up to ten thousand. Um, then again, I don't want to make that recommendation. Right. I'm going to tell you what to do there, but you need to make sure that that your client is comfortable with the deductible amount. And number four, make sure that the, the maximum amount you're comfortable with. It might only be a twenty thousand dollar policy. If you have a hundred thousand boxes with you and you have a twenty thousand dollar policy, you're you're in some trouble. Yeah, you're you're limited at yeah. best in your ability well, let's to see. What's the number that you need, though? Let's say you're a, a typical record storage client, and you have 500 boxes. What what do you need to have insurance for? What should that policy be written for? Right. Um, what what the client would need to do would be to, to simply say, okay, let's let's plan on every box that we have getting wet, and it has to be freeze dried. How much is it going to free, cost to freeze dry 500 boxes? Well, I, I would suggest that. If you find out that that number is a hundred dollars a box and it's five hundred boxes, you're going to need a, a good fifty thousand dollar policy. Right. Right. And the, the, those four things is those four things are something that each one of the record centers need to be talking about with their client. Now we actually not only do we talk about it, we we actually have to sign off. Yes, we discuss this. I want them having that conversation with their insurance agent. Okay. Um, now, did, what, tell me. What, well, yeah, I, I guess that that's an that's an important discussion. So I think you know one of the first things that what I, I think you're saying is that our record centers or operators need to make sure they have this discussion clearly out in the open with all their clients because right. failure to do that leads to potentially what. Um. Failure to do that would mean that there's going to be no coverage in the event that there is water on a box. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, in, in what happened to us, uh, we had a, a few clients to call us and say, I thought you had insurance on my records. Right. Well, that's not, that's not what a warehouseman is supposed to do. Uh, a warehouseman will provide a minimum amount of coverage, which is spelled out in our contract. For that box, and most contracts, most record storage, records management contracts, are going to specify an amount, an amount per cubic foot, an amount per box. I'm not sure right. what your wording is, but yeah. it's going to specify an amount. Now, as in my case, we actually have a manuscript policy that is written. Oh, well, let me, I'll, I'll mention something else in a minute. We do have a manuscript policy that is written that covers 
a very large amount of of restoration or stabilization. Okay. Now, it's one of those two things. Um, and let me explain what I'm talking about when I say stabilization. If I have a wet box, I have a certain amount of time before that box is going to be mulch. Right. If you if you leave it too long, obviously the paper's going to fuse, the ink's going to bleed, and it, it's going it's going to be unreadable. It's just it's just a, a glob. Right. Well, if you, but if you give it to me in the correct amount of time, and that's typically within a, a very few number of days, three to four days. Yeah. Um, I've actually gone up to five days in some cases, but if I get that box within five days, I have a very small window to stabilize that box. And what I do is I take the wet contents out of the wet box. I put it in a dry box, a new dry box. I cut the front off the wet box, and I lay it on the top of the papers in the dry box. And I handwrite everything that was on that box that was written on the front of that box. I handwrite it on the front with a, with a waterproof uh, sharpie. Okay. So that what's well, on the front is now written on the front. And if there's a barcode number, I write BC and then write the barcode number there. I leave the barcode number on that box, though. I, I want that done because I want that I want the original in the box. Right. But I want the dry box front on there for for stability purposes. Okay. Okay. Now that I put the I put the top on that box and I rush that box to a blast freezer. In my case, there's one very close to me. A blast freezer. And they're the kind they use. They use like vegetables. Vegetables go through blast freezers and fruit and that kind of stuff, right? Well, more importantly, ice cream does. Ice cream, okay. Uh, It's it's a a very intense, it takes it to minus 20 degrees very quickly. If you were to put a box of records in a regular freezer, it might take a week to get it to to frozen. It's just just not going to get it there. But a blast freezer has a lot of air moving through it. And it's more expensive, but after about 8 to 10 hours, you've got a frozen box. Okay. And when it's frozen, it's stabilized, Tom. At that point, I could leave it there for 10 years. I really wouldn't want to do that, but I could. Yeah. It's stabilized. And then I, do, well, then I call the client and I say, guys, i got a problem. Uh, you have a box that was wet. Now, I have stabilized it. And we're okay. Nothing further is going to happen to it. But it was wet. You have a choice you've got to make. Get with your insurance company and let them know that you're, you're going to need to either freeze-dry this box or destroy this box. What you need to do is look to see what the contents of this box is. Uh, is this box coming up for destruction in about three to four months or six months or eight months? If it is, we have another thing we might do. But, but otherwise, you have a choice to make. If you say, no, this box really is not important to me, let it go. We're just going to let it go. Well, then we'll take and take it to a security landfill and let it go right there. But now if they need it freeze-dried, I'm going to ship it in a frozen trailer. Or, you know, if it's one box, I've even seen this done. Um, they'll put it in an ice chest with yeah. dry ice and ship it to BMS. Oh, okay. I was actually on their dock one day when, when they received uh, uh, three... three um, coolers, metal coolers with dry ice in it, with three boxes that had gotten wet. And, um, and, of course, 
all uh, BMS did was take them out of there, put them in their freezer, and then when the, the, the chamber was ready, they put them in the chamber and, and freeze dried them. And, and it was perfect. It worked very well. So that and that's the place where it goes from frozen to dry without going through wet again. That is correct. Now that's actually Tom. That's called a pro, um, well, no, 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 uh, I think I heard you correctly. It goes from uh, frozen wet to, to dry, from yeah. wet to frozen. That's correct. But now here's another problem. You don't want it ever to be wet again. Right. So the, 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 the freeze-dry chamber is a process called sublimation. It takes it from dry to vapor without it being wet again. You know, normally it would be dry or frozen, and then it would be um, wet. wet, and then yeah. it would get hot and the vapor would come out. Right. Well, freeze-dry is sublimation. It skips that step. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's and, you know, very cool. You're, you're, you're putting, you're putting a, a wet item in a, in a, in a vacuum. And you're introducing heat and sucking out moisture, introducing heat, sucking out moisture. And after a few days, they'll go in and look at it, turn it, flip it over, and make sure everything is coming out. Then they'll leave it in. Typically, it takes about two weeks. Wow. And you can typically do about 200 cubic feet at a time. And they have, uh, for BMS, that's the one I'm most familiar with, they have about uh, six, chambers in, uh, six chambers in Fort Worth. And they have uh, multiple chambers in Chicago. Hmm. And, you know, there are other companies. Yeah, there are other companies do it, too. Yeah. Belfour. A lot of them do this. Yeah. But uh, it's, the, the process is, uh, in fact, I think the process was invented by Blackman Morton Stomatic, BMS. And I think everybody else has kind of uh, jumped in there yeah. in the years following. But that that's the one thing. So what I was telling you about was that I have a stabilization policy or a restoration policy. Now, when I freeze-drive, that's restoration. But stabilization is the part that I wanted an insurance policy. I have a manuscript policy that my insurance agent wrote that says you have X number of million dollars for stabilization or restoration. And it, it's, that's what it says. Um, anybody that would want to know the language and know the, the name of my insurance company, I'd be happy to tell that to them. Okay. Well, well, we'll we'll post your connecting dots on the uh, on the site. But so stabilization. In fact, in fact, let me say let me say this: there is only, I believe, there still is only one insurance company that will write that, and that's ACE, ACE. Huh. I believe they are the only insurance company that will write that policy. So anyone who's listening to this, they could talk to their agent, then go through ACE. Okay. Uh, to contact ACE to try to get this policy. A lot of the clients, Tom, one of the real problems that you have is that the client will think, I've just given you a box of records in good shape. I expect to get it back in good shape. Right. And, and the logic is, well, that's really what we want to do. Yeah. problem is insurance not going to, they're, they're always going to step into the middle of that. And let's, let's, take a, let's take the record away from it for a minute. Let's, let's talk about sofas. Let's say I have one too many sofas right now, and... I don't have any space for it. So let's take it to the mini warehouse. Yeah. Well, if you put that mini warehouse, uh, if, you, if you take that sofa and put it at the mini warehouse, uh, they're going to say to you, you know, we have a thing called carrier's legal liability, and it's 60 cents per pound per article. And that's the coverage we have on your sofa when it's in our, when it's in our, uh, um, right. when, it, when it's under our roof yeah. and behind the door. Yeah. Now, if you want to take additional coverage on it, happy to sell it sell to it you. Sell it to you. Or your own homeowner's policy very well might cover that, but you need to let them know that you have a sofa at a mini warehouse. You see what's happening here? It's the very same thing with records. Yeah. So it's are, the very same process. 
are you then actually selling uh, that enhanced insurance to people, or you're just strictly doing pushing them back to deal with it at their own local with their own local um, insurance provider? Tom, if you look at the prison contract or anybody's contract in this industry, um, I, I think similar wording is required. Uh, here's what I have for your coverage. Now, if you want to personal this purchase additional coverage from me, you can purchase it. Now, that's not really the smart thing to do. No. But I have to be able to offer it to them. And nobody, I'll tell you, out of my, out of my 17, 800, 1,800 clients we have, um, nobody has ever purchased it from us because they, if they did get a quote from us and then get it from their own office insurance, it's going to be dramatically lower if they simply bundle it with all the coverages that they already have right. with that insurance company. Right. But that we can sell it, but it's going to be much higher. Yeah. And it's not a very smart move. No. Okay. But most people say, I'm not going to involve my insurance in this. You got it wet. Well, they can't do that. Um, my insurance would step in and simply say, hey, client, we want to know the name of your insurance company. Right. So They're it's going to gonna happen They're gonna call your insurance, And the insurance guys are going to deal with it. It's yeah. not going to be between me and my client. Right. Insurance takes over there. And quite frankly, the majority of the insurance is going to be on the client, yeah. not on me. Just Unless because of the they purchased the, more, yeah. From me. Because of the the implications of the warehousemen's, that's correct. Right. Okay. So, uh, I think you've, in terms of some red pills, you've said uh, you have to talk to your client up front about this. Don't wait to talk to it till after the disaster strikes. Uh, it sounds like secondly, you've got to make sure you've got a connected, uh, some kind of connection to the ability to ensure that you have a way to stabilize. Uh, documents in the event of a disaster and in paper land disaster tends to be around water or fire but predominantly around water it really is mostly water now you'll have smoke also but smoke is easy yeah that's uh, i say easy it's uh it's an ozonation process ozone ozonation yeah yeah um i can i can make a box smell just like it's brand new with an ozone machine and that's another thing that bms did for us uh in our fire, we had 87,500 boxes that stunk to high heaven of smoke, but they ozoned them, and uh, occasionally we would find one that still smelled bad, but they'd say, oh, give that back to me, <laughs> give it back to me, and they'd take it in and put it in a small room with a small ozone chamber, ozone machine, and, and after, a, I'm not sure how many hours, it wasn't very many hours, it'd come out and it was fine. Okay, but, that, that, but you, you really think about it. Uh, if you really think about it, what are the possibilities? Fire, wet. What else is there? Smoke. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else. Yeah, the only the only other option is is what has happened. You know, potentially when when the roof you know gets well, sucked. Let me off. tell you. I've, I I want to tell you there is another one. I had this to happen last year. Um. You, you've been in my 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 old building yep. downtown in Nashville. Yeah. Um, it was hot, and I understand why my employee went and opened those windows. I understand it completely. It was a good idea. It let the air out, and it gave him some ventilation. The problem is he didn't close them, and we didn't know that those windows were open. They were on the back side, and we had a pigeon family to move in. Oh. And let me just say that there was lots of pigeon left, lots <laughs> 
and lots and lots of pigeon left to the point where it really scared me the first time I saw it. And uh, it's one of those things where it was in a, it was one predominant client that was in this back part of the record center. We never saw it. And then we had an employee to go back there and say, you should see there's prison, prison pigeon stuff. I'll just say poop all over the place. He had built a nest in uh, one of the boxes, and um, it was a, it was a mess. Oh. Uh, we had to have that um, sterilized, disinfected, and then we we ran it through a freeze dry just for the heck of it. Just to make uh, sure. Just just because we thought, what else can we do to it? I mean, uh, and then we had to call the client and tell them what had happened. It's pretty nasty. Yeah. So, yeah, there are a few things that can happen, but see, that falls again under this insurance situation. Now, actually, in this case, we, we didn't, um, we didn't uh, contact insurance. Well, we called them, and then we thought, you know, we're just going to cover this. It's a lot better to do this and not, not put this on our, right. on our pile, you know, not claim it. Uh, we've also had an occasion, and, and there will be a lot of people listening, who have had a leak in the roof. And they didn't discover it for a year, and then dripped, 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 and then got dry, and then dripped, 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 and got dry, and then dripped, and dripped, and got dry, and there was a lot of mold on the document uh, after continual over and over and over. That box would also need to be uh, uh, disinfected and and go through the molding, you know, demolding process, yeah. whatever they do. Yeah. I don't even know what it is, but I was trying to get your mind to thinking what. What are the things that are going to happen to a box? Yeah. I, I, I might have had, I might have, now I don't know if anything else, somebody else who's listening might have something else that's happened to a box. But uh, that's, th- those I think are probably the critical things that have happened. So how, do, how then, I, I think in terms of reacting to crisis and reacting to this, you, you've raised probably two of the most critical ones, which are preparation for with clients and the insurance implications around that, both for yourself and for the client. I, I think, or I would suspect in your conversation with TMM last a couple of weeks ago, you probably gave a bit of advice in terms of how to react to the crisis in terms of... Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. And I, I, listen, I'm not going to take the credit for this because this is something that Richard Reese called me on right after my fire. Okay. Uh, and I'm very appreciative of the fact that he did that. Um, and I, I'm at the risk of, of um, and I'm sure he'd be very happy. I, I'm, I've told him several times, you, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. Not so much that he called me, but there were three critical things that, that I was told that, that needed to happen. Um, first thing was that you are going to have an incredible amount of papers through this fire that have fallen out of a box, and uh, they will be on the floor, and you will probably think that it's very important that you collect those papers and try and get them back to the right person. Hmm. Um, in my case, I, I could see the, the, where the firemen, in looking for the fire, would just simply pull a box off the shelf and throw it on the ground, hose it really good, and then go on. Right. And then pull another one off and hose it and then go on. And I had mounds of papers. The majority of, uh, I lost 4,000 boxes. 4,000 is the, the number of boxes that were destroyed in my fire. A very small number yeah. relative to every other fire that's ever been in the industry right. that's been reported. 
that's been reported. Now, there have been some <laughs> others that haven't. Right. But uh, you're chuckling. You know what I'm talking about. Some people yeah. have had things happen and just didn't yeah. tell anybody. Just nothing said. Um, and that's fine. That's 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 their thing. Um, I'll tell you that that it was my goal when I saw those papers. I said, look, put what what, what I want to do is I, I want to I want to try and get them back to the right clients. And three days after the fire, he said, put them in a dumpster, seal them, and have them destroyed immediately because you will not be able to recover them. Well, I didn't listen to him there. Hmm. But two weeks after the fire, we realized, number one, things were starting to molt. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were, they were turning into just mulch. Yeah. But, you know, the, the goal was we wanted to try to get them back. But, but one of my clients said, well, wait a minute. Um, I was calling him and telling him, he was, I was talking to him on the phone. And he said, well, wait a minute. Let's say you do have one of my documents. How do I know it's not mine or it's opposing counsel's? notes on my on my right uh, on my file and at that moment i realized holy smoke we need to do exactly what richard said hmm. so we, we when we collected all those things they immediately went to a security landfill that, that, that does exist and what happens at a security landfill is that it's covered over with dirt every day and they'll take you out to an area and they'll dig a hole and they'll bury it and then they'll cover it back over and it's gps located uh gps tracked don't mm-hmm. know where it is, but um, and they even know the depth that it went to actually. Wow. But uh, and we had a, we had about oh I think we had four or five of those really large dumpsters. I think I don't know what the number of cubic yards that is. But anyway, we had that happen. That was number one. Number two, um, um, he said your insurance company is going to walk away from you. Uh, they will. They you'll have a problem with them immediately. Hmm. And. Uh, I said, no, I, that's actually something I'm in really good shape on. What, what I didn't know was that less than 24 hours later, my insurance company walked away from me. Uh, and they did. And the third thing, and, and I, was, I, I was not prepared for that. I really wasn't prepared for that. And he said, number three, uh, you need to hire a private adjuster to handle everything that's going to be happening with you. Because they will, they, you, don't, you don't need your insurance agent reading his policy, telling him what he's going to give you. It's his job to keep as much money from you as possible. Right. That's the way they make their money. So when you hire an independent adjuster, he's going to charge you by the amount of money that he's able to recover for you. And it's always going to be more than what, what the insurance agent would have given you. So um, we, we listened to those. You know, All three of those things were heated and was great, we're very grateful for that information. Some of you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Go through the fire and you'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's why it's so important, and I, I think based on, you know, based on the situation coming up again in the industry just recently, uh, I, I think these words of wisdom are, are important to just, you know, hear again, because I, I think so easy, it's so easy to get sort of stuck in the day-to-day operational stuff and miss out the, the preparation for what might happen in these kind of situations. Tom, you said the word preparation. Um, we have a disaster recovery plan. Um, we had heard when we were at the uh, very first Florida conference, I can't remember, Bow Harbor, Florida, the very first year. Yeah. That would have been like 96 or 97. I can't remember. That's the, that's the year that Richard and the president of Recall and the president of, of another uh, company that had a fire, they all three spoke on a panel and everybody listened. I mean, listened. Yeah. And I, I heard what they said and they said, you need to have a disaster recovery uh, plan, but not, not only that, you need to have uh, a team 
Well, we went back and organized a disaster recovery team at Richards and Richards. We met every Tuesday morning, and we had just met the Tuesday morning before the uh, the Thursday we, that we had this fire. Everybody knew what to do. Wow, that's great. And it was kind of like you you it was it was almost like I never really thought I would ever have to do this. I mean, Leanne knew she had to run up there, and, and she had she needed to know where the fire was and what part of the building because she knew that she needed to run a report that showed every location that would then show every box that was that was going to be involved in that so that at eight o'clock the next morning we were calling our clients see another call another one of my employees said you're going to get this information from Leanne and we were going to know who was involved and who was not involved in the fire and the next morning I was calling clients saying all of them we called every client that morning and we said okay uh, you had no boxes in the fire. We want to let you know. You heard it on the news last night. And but then I personally called all those who were involved in the fire, and I'd say, "Look, we want to let you know we had a fire last night, and you have boxes that were in that area. We do not know the condition or anything, but we do know that they were involved, and we just wanted to let you know." Yeah. Wow. Everything that 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 team worked very well. But I also had a disaster recovery plan, and I just updated it. Uh, Jim Booth found a great plan on the internet, and we took it and uh, use that plan. And anybody that doesn't have one, you will be asked at some point for your disaster recovery plan right. if you're running a good record center and a, a good-sized client wants to do business with you. They'll want to well, know I what that is. I have two of them. Yeah. I have one redacted, and then I have one that I actually use. I give them a redacted one just to say, here it is, guys. I'm, I'm not going to tell you all my, all my goodies. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who I use them. I'm not going to tell you everything about it. But the here is one that has all the blanks to show you what we will do. Right. Right. So a, a, a good a good record center is going to have a disaster recovery plan and a disaster recovery team right. that knows what to do. Wow, that's and that's important because because I I think it's very easy to get stuck in so many other things and miss that one. So, well, I uh, man, it's it's uh, each of these points you've raised is is critically important, and I hope people who are listening have actually taken them to heart and make sure that they've they've implemented them so again thank you so much for for filling us in on this and reminding us again the importance of getting these things in order in our business so i appreciate it tom thank you always enjoy Well, there you have it. Another show wrapped for this week. I want to thank you for being a part of the show this week and joining with uh, Ian Thomas of O'Neill Software. Uh, I want to thank Tom Dumez of Kent Records, and I'm very grateful for Steve Richards of Richards & Richards being here on the program with us today. As always, I would love to hear from you and see what's going on in your world if you want to be a part of the show and share what you're doing with the rest of the RIM service community, you can let me know. Just go to RIMProReport.com and our telephone number is there. And you can also use the Contact Us form and let me know what's happening. And we can work out a time to have a conversation. We're recording every week for the show, so we would love you to be a part of it. As always, I am grateful for your support, for your uh, continued uh, encouragement and for just hanging out with us every week for a little bit at a time. So thanks for coming by. I look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week, and we'll see you then. Over and out.
Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.